In our last episode, in investigating the personality and power of Jesus as experienced by his first disciples, we looked at a particularly memorable day in the life as it's given to us in Matthew 8. The Sermon on the Mount, followed by the healings of the leper, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, and then, well, the whole town of Capernaum. And I got to say, I love looking at Jesus in the midst of his daily schedule. Because, let's be honest, it's how we live these individual days that actually defines who we are. And the same was gloriously true for Jesus. So I'm going to do it again. Except this time, it's going to be over almost a full 24-hour period and not just the daylight hours. So imagine this. Imagine you are in the boat with the rest of the 12 and there's Jesus and the evening sun is dropping over the hills. There's warmth in the air. The sunset colors paint the sky and then slowly fade to darkness. The first stars appear. The moon is low over the far hills. And it is just glorious. There's that subtle sound of the water against the hull of the boat. You're with your friends. You're talking. And as the hours pass and you're slowly sailing across the Sea of Galilee, you start to feel more comfortable, more sleepy. And so taking off your outer cloak, again, it's a warm night, you turn it into a pillow and you're up toward the bow of the boat and you rest it against the gunwale and you kind of burrow your back against the curvature of the hull and you're listening to the sound of people talking and then slowly it's fading and next thing you know, you're asleep. But as you know, sleep passes quickly and the next thing you know, splash, water hits you in the face. You open your eyes and it is chaos. Flashes of lightning. The feel of those waves coming over the edge of the boat, hitting you. You're already soaked. Uh, the feeling of the wind throwing the sail into complete chaos. And you look up and realize that all of your friends who have any sort of ability in a boat are on their feet and trying to get down the sail and trying to uh, control the boom as it swings out of control. They're trying to do anything they can to keep you afloat because this storm is chaos. And by the flash of a lightning strike, you look straight back down the boat. And there he is, serene, comfortably asleep on that particular cushion that he always claims in the back of the boat. And so you're on your feet and you're holding the edge of the boat as you slowly make your way over the benches and you get to the back of the boat and as undignified as possible, you scream into the sleeping face of Jesus and awake him. And here's what you say. Master, don't you care that we're going to drown? And the face of Jesus is unbothered. He's unbothered at this abrupt wake up. He's unbothered as he looks down and realizes that his cloak and tunic are soaking wet. He's unbothered 
at the storm and the chaos. And without a word to you, he stands up and doing as you did, holds the edge of the boat as he walks forward all the way to the prow. And amidst the glaring light of the lightning, amidst the chaos of the swelling of the waves that lift and then drop you, amidst the sound of uh, the waves slapping against the boat, amidst the, the howling of this fierce, fearsome wind, his lips move. You can read them even almost as he simply says into the storm, hush. The boat drops. Everything stops. Chaos moves to peace. The sea goes to glass. And as he turns back, what you see in his face is that he is, he is surprised at your fear. Why were you so frightened? He asks. Well, the night continues. You take your wet cloak, you wrap it back into a pillow. Everyone retreats to their spot in the boat and you fall asleep. And next thing you know, it's the sound of you beaching on the eastern shore. And as you throw a leg out of the boat and you begin to walk up towards the green hills, you hear a sound. This strange, distant, it sounds like a voice, but it's almost unearthly. And Next thing you know, the most horrifying figure you could imagine is running down the hills towards you. He's covered in bruises and cuts and both dry and wet blood. The look in his eyes is complete psychosis. He's coming right at you. And you look at Jesus. And he's serene. He's serene at the horrifying approach of this horrifying, disfigured-looking person who runs, yes, right up to you and says, What would you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And Jesus asks him in the most serene, again, voice, What's your name? And that horrifying voice, almost a cacophony of voices, says back, Legion! for we are many. But Jesus, again, is unbothered. He's unbothered having to be confronted by this demonic force. He's even unbothered as the demonic force asks for the strangest thing, send us into that herd of pigs. Unbothered. And so standing there in the fresh morning sunlight, he simply says, as he flicks his hand away, be gone. And yes, right here, the man who called himself Legion falls to the ground limp. And up there, up on the hillside, that entire enormous crowd of pigs wheels as one, turns, and dashes off a cliff to their death in the water below. Yes, he is power incarnate in that moment. And the swineherds who saw it happen and saw him point and saw it all happen, the man hit the ground, they run to the nearest village, they bring back everyone they can find. And here's what's surprising to you. It's how unsurprised Jesus is at their fear. He hears their pleadings that he would leave. He smiles <laughs> and he goes. Yes, you're back in the boat. 
So you get comfortable as the sailors sail their way back westward toward the other shore. Not terribly much longer, because there's no storm this time and you're sailing by daylight, you arrive back, back almost where you'd left from. And as you get out of the boat, you can see the people in the central marketplace erupt with excitement that Jesus is back and they run to tell everyone. And now a huge, overwhelming crowd, not just of the townspeople of that town, but of those people who've been looking for him all over the Western shore, all of them come down to the harbor. And as Jesus is with them and talking with them, suddenly the crowd parts from the back and one of the most important men in town, the president of the synagogue, is walking through the crowd and he drops on his knees in front of Jesus and he implores Jesus, please come with me. My little girl is dying. And the look on Jesus' face as you glance at him is serenity. He is serene in the presence of the need of this man. And so he goes with him. And as he goes, the crowd comes around behind him. He is completely enveloped by it. They jostle at his elbow. They shout questions in his face. They laugh. They cry. They want to touch him. They want to be near him. And you look at his face and he's unbothered. In fact, he's overjoyed. But friends... Here we see a break, if you've been noticing my pattern. The pattern has been, he is serene, he is unbothered, he is power incarnate, and he is either surprised or unsurprised at our reaction to him. Well, now there's a break in the ordering. Because suddenly, he's power incarnate for someone else. You see, he stops, stops right there in the midst of the crowd. You see his eyes looking around. And he turns back and says, Who just touched me? Now, keeping in mind that you have no idea what he's talking about because you've never read these things called the Gospels walking along beside him, you, along with Peter, ask, Lord, how could you ask that? Everyone is touching you. But again, his eyes are serene. He scans the faces in the crowd. He's looking at them one by one. And suddenly, again with no context to you, a woman comes up, kneels down, and there are tears coming down her face. And she says, it was I. May I tell you the story? Oh, and how unbothered he is to hear a story that encompasses 12 years of a bleeding condition that has robbed her of life, of her position in the community, of all that she owns. He hears it all. And this time, he is surprised and he's delighted at the faith that caused her to wend her way through the crowd and to touch him. For this is lovely. He says to her, daughter, it's your faith that did it. Go home and be at peace. But you see, in the midst of that interaction, he has not forgotten our other friend Jairus, the president of the synagogue, and he turns back to him even as the servants come to tell Jairus that his daughter is dead and reminds him, just go on believing, it will be all right. And so away he goes, taking only Peter, James, John, perhaps you can hang as close as you can to see. And you go to the house. Jesus enters in. With power, again, as power incarnate, he dismisses those who are weeping. 
He goes straight through the house and into the room. He takes that little hand in his, and he whispers into her ear, Little girl, it's time now. Get up. And as she leaps to her feet, as she circles the room, being this vivacious 12-year-old, Jesus is unsurprised at the surprised joy of the parents, of his favored three, of everyone who will hear the tale of this resurrection. And he simply says to all those gathered, now listen, let's keep this to ourselves, shall we? Well, friends, if I may be so bold as to make some observations, some quite simple observations on this, which is, by the way, Mark 4 and 5, here is what I would say, here's what I would love for you to internalize about this day in the life of observing the personality and power of Jesus with respect to, frankly, our life experience, the way that we perceive the world and our transit through it. In the face of some of our greatest fears, call them fear of adverse circumstance, like the storm, fear of evil or spiritual malevolence, like legion running down the hillside, fear of personal tragedy, like Jairus fearing he's going to lose his little girl, in fear of our or our loved one's potential death, in all that that woman carried with her, in 12 years of bleeding and then brought to Jesus for healing, in all of that, friends, Jesus is always serene, unbothered, power incarnate. And frankly, he's happy either to be surprised or unsurprised right at our side. My question for you and for me, in the midst of our day in the life, in the midst of these individual units of time, by the way, which define us, how are we finding him to be? Is he our first recourse in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our personal tragedies, even our triumphs? Today, on the particular day in your life that you happen to be listening to my voice recording this thought Have you already turned to him? Will you turn to him again, no matter what this day holds? Will you finish this day nearer to him, nearer to this personality and this power than you started it? There's nothing higher or better for you than to do so. It's what I'm endeavoring to do. It's what I'm inviting you to do with me. So let's come to know his personality and power in the midst of our fears, in the midst of these things that cause him no fear. Let's do it. Thanks for listening.